to The Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 19 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on the 1st of September 2016, and I cannot believe it's September already. Where on earth did the last month go? My guest today is Mark Edwards. Mark is the superstar best-selling author of psychological thrillers such as The Magpies and Follow You Home, and with his writing partner, Louise Voss, police procedurals including Forward Slash and The Blissfully Dead. Mark is kind enough to talk us through his journey to publication. It was a long process, with huge ups and downs, and I hope you find it inspiring. The more authors I speak to, the more it is brought home to me that this is a really difficult journey, and that lows, which can occur at any point in an author's career, both pre- and post-publication, are very normal, and are often followed by highs, so you just have to keep on going. I also want to mention the latest episode of Joanna Penn's wonderful podcast, The Creative Pen. She interviews Rachel Abbott, who is a mega-selling self-publishing success story, which is well worth listening to. But I really loved Joanna's intro this week. She spoke about how quickly a year passes, and that we tend to overestimate what we can get done in 12 months, but then we also underestimate what we can do over a longer period. She talked about measuring our progress in Olympics, which is an idea I love. Inspired by Joanna, I thought about where I was on the writing journey during the 2008 and 2012 Olympics, compared with this year's. In 2008, my children were 8 and 5. I was just adjusting to no longer having preschoolers at home with me, and I was able to spend a wee bit more time writing. I had written two novels at that point, and the second had landed me my first agent. It was on submission to publishers, and I was getting positive comments, but no offers. I was working on another book, but I was really struggling with self-doubt and procrastination, and I was also doing freelance writing work to make ends meet. Fast forward to the London 2012 Olympics, and I had completed a Master's in Creative Writing at St Andrews University, written two more books, and parted company with my first agent. I had also just been through the agent submission process all over again, and I had signed with Agent Fabulous. That summer, I was working on revisions of the book, which would end up being titled The Language of Spells. I was still filled with self-doubt, and I was job-hunting, feeling incredibly guilty that I was wasting so much time and energy on a pipe dream. Even though I had signed with this amazing new agent, I knew that that was no guarantee of success. I was hardly on the internet and social media, and I felt very hesitant and shy about the whole thing. I was very happy writing non-fiction articles um, about other people and other things, but the idea of writing about myself or sharing personal information was terrifying. So another four years later, and so many of my dreams have come true. I have had three novels and a novella published, and I've built an actual readership of people who contact me to tell me that they've enjoyed my stories. Both The Language of Spells and In the Light of What We See became Kindle bestsellers, and I have sold many more books than I imagined was possible. My agent is still wonderful, and I have been lucky enough to work with brilliant editors at both of my publishers. 
I have an author website, which I love, and I've got more comfortable with blogging and using social media. I adore Twitter and have met so many lovely people through it, and I, I really feel part of the writing community these days. I started the podcast to help other writers, and I've had so many positive interactions and connections as a result. And most recently, I've dipped my toe in independent publishing by commissioning an audiobook of the language of spells. On a day-to-day -day basis, I feel that I never get enough done, so taking a step back and listing everything I have achieved in the last four years has been tremendously encouraging. I really do urge you to give it a go. You can also then think about 2020 and where you would like to be or what you would have liked to have achieved by the next Olympics. I know that I've got several plans, including many more books published, fingers crossed, and hopefully more happy readers. Also, having just mentioned the audiobook there, I'd better give you all an update. I have just finished reviewing the files from the narrator, the cover art is up on my blog at sarah-painter.com, and the book should be available to buy in a couple of weeks. It has been a wonderful experience, and I'm already looking forward to getting The Secrets of Ghosts made. The narrator, Stevie Zimmerman, has been an absolute joy to work with, and I think she's done a brilliant job. So far, using ACX has made the whole process very simple indeed, but I will report back again once the book is up for sale. If you like audiobooks and are interested in receiving a copy in exchange for an honest review, I have a limited number of free copies available. Please head to my author site, which is sarah-painter.com, and send me a message, or just email me on sarah at worriedwriter.com. Okay, that's enough waffle from me. If there's anything at all you would like covered in a future show, do get in touch. If you've got a specific question you'd like answered, email me at sarah at worriedwriter.com or find me on Twitter. Just before we get to the interview section, I just want to thank Laura for her lovely comment on the Worried Writer site. Amongst other things, she said, Thank you for having an ongoing positive impact on my writing life, which was wonderful to hear. Thank you. And a quick shout out to a few folk on Twitter for their support. Joanne Mallory, who's at WriterGal, Louisa Heaton, at Louisa Heaton, Karen Mahoney, at Karen Mahoney, Rachel Lucas, at Karamina, Emily Royal, at E Royal Author. And thank you to you for listening. If you could spare a moment to subscribe to the podcast or leave me a rating on iTunes, then that would be fab. But please do keep listening, rating, recommending, and sharing the podcast. And now, on to the interview section of the show. Mark Edwards is the best-selling author of psychological thrillers such as Follow You Home, Because She Loves Me and The Magpies. Before going solo, Mark published a number of police procedurals written with Louise Voss, including Killing Cupid and Forward Slash. He and Voss also have a series featuring D.I. Patrick Lennon, starting with From the Cradle and followed by The Blissfully Dead, which came out last year. Welcome to the show, Mark, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, I remember hearing about you and Louise Voss a few years ago, and it was in an article all about you being mega selling success stories. Um, and at the time, I had no idea of the, the journey you'd gone through beforehand. Um, I mean, having spoken to authors now, I should have known better, but I was still surprised when I read about it on your website. And I was just hoping you could recount your journey to publication for the listeners. 
Oh, well, it's a very long, so I'll give you the, I'll give you the brief, the brief um, version. Um, I mean, I started writing when I was in my early 20s, just after I left university. Um, I wrote several books and tried to get an agent. I mean, this was in the days when you had the Writers and Artists Yearbook and you go through the list of agents and and sent and filled brown envelopes with the first three chapters in a synopsis, send them out and then wait. And I, I went through years of being really anxious whenever the postman came. Because I was always, <laughs> always going to, to see whether I'd get good or bad news. You just get that constant flow of rejections back. Uh-huh. Um, and it took me, after about two years of this, like, or maybe three years, I got an agent um, who was very, very enthusiastic and, and telling me that I was going to be um, successful and that she was going to get me a deal. And, and so I, was, I was thought, oh, well, I've That's made it. this uh-huh. back to 97 or 98 or something. It was a long time ago. Um, and then she couldn't find a publisher for that book. Mm-hmm. So I wrote another one and she couldn't find a publisher for that one either. And so this went on for another couple of years. Um, and then I was on this documentary that BBC Two were making for aspiring, about aspiring writers and about how how you go about finding an agent and a publisher and so on. Um, and so they filmed my agent sending out my manuscript and they were like filming like bikes going across London carrying the manuscript. It was all <laughs> trying to dramatise the, the publication process. Um, and they had lots of shots of me strolling moodily along the beach, looking like an angst-ridden author. Oh, and, that's it. I, and I still didn't get a publisher after that either. And I think um, I think I probably looked a bit too moody and anxious in the, <laughs> in the film. Anyway... One good thing that that led to was that I um, got an e- I got several emails, um, and including one from a, another writer called Louise Voss, who had um, who was in exactly the same situation as me. She had an agent but hadn't found a publisher yet, and so Louise and I kind of became pen pals or email buddies, um, and we used to email back and forth ideas and just discussions about writing and trying to get published and so on. Um, And then a couple of years after this, we decided to write a novel together and wrote a book called Killing Cupid. That was in 2002. Uh I was living in Japan and she was in London. Uh, We did it all by email. um, And she already had a publishing deal by this point. And her agent was a bit lukewarm about killing Cupid. I didn't have an agent anymore by 2002. Um, and she sent it out to publishers and it got rejected by everybody, even though we'd had it optioned by BBC TV. Oh, my goodness. Make a TV drama out of it. So, um, so killing Cupid kind of just was, that was over. So Louise and I then wrote another book together called Catch Your Death. This was in, that was in about 2006. Mm-hmm. And by this point, she didn't have an agent either. She'd gone back. Her, her um, books hadn't sold as well as as the publisher had hoped, and so she got dropped. So we were both back at square one with no agent, nothing. So, But we wrote what we thought was a very commercial thriller, went about trying to get an agent, and again, we got 
we just got nowhere. Everybody rejected it. So by this point, I'd been trying for well over 10 years. Uh-huh. So the only thing, the only money I'd ever made from writing was from was a tiny amount of money from this BBC option, and I'd sold a couple of short stories for pennies. Um, so I gave up. I thought, it's not worth it anymore. Mm-hmm. I've, I've spent so long banging my head against the, a brick wall and... And I had a good job by this point. Um, I was starting to have kids and and my career was starting to go quite well. And I just thought it's not worth the pain and all of the effort, all of the thousands of hours that I poured into, into writing. And, and I thought I've given it a good shot and it's time to kind of, to kind of quit. Oh, understandably. <laughs> so I told you the story. So anyway, 2010, the Kindle was launched in the UK um, and my wife bought me a, uh, well, she was my girlfriend at the time. She bought me a Kindle for my my 40th birthday. Um, and And I started reading about some writers in America who were using KDP and who were doing well. And so I said to Louise, why don't we take these two books that we wrote years ago and self-publish them and and see what happens? She was very sceptical about it and said, well, we'll probably only sell like two copies and it'll be embarrassing and it's just not worth the effort. But I I thought, well, I thought it is worth a go. And so I persuaded her um, to try it. Now, the books were massively out of date by this point because there was no social media in them. Everybody was smoking in pubs. Um, there was all this stuff going on that didn't happen in 2010. So we we spent a few months editing and rewriting the books and polishing them. And um, got my sister-in-law to design covers for them, um, which she did for free. I just found stock images on, on iStock Photo. Um, I wrote the the book descriptions and and we put the first one, Killing Cupid, up on on Amazon in February two thousand and eleven, and then and then I became completely obsessed with <laughs> trying to sell it and trying to get well trying to get people to buy it, trying to get people to take any notice of it because when you you pub- self publish a book or even publish a book. Why should anybody care? <laughs> I mean, I tell people and they'd look at me in a kind of slightly sympathetic way, like, oh, that's, that's nice, he's, he's published a book, tell me a book. And I think people still saw it as like vanity publishing. Anyway, it started to climb the charts. I mean, I was literally spending three hours a day after doing my day job, completely neglecting my pregnant girlfriend at the time, just b- mainly blogging. Uh-huh. And, and kind of communicating with other writers and tweaking the book description. I did that. I was constantly changing the description, trying to see if that made a difference. Um, and sales suddenly kind of took off and it started climbing the charts and it got stuck just outside the top 100 um, in the UK. In May, we self-published Catch Your Death, which we always thought was the more commercial one. And after about two weeks, it started shooting up the charts. Um, there was one day, I mean, you know, you can check your KDP stats live on your phone. And I used to do, I used to do this. I was completely addicted to checking my stats. I, I have remember, no idea what you mean, Mark. I just don't know. 
<laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> oh no, I never check, never no, check no, stats. No, sure, no. Sure. It's like, you know they say it's like, it's like that experiment they do with rats where they the rats press fever, <laughs> and sometimes a pellet comes down and sometimes it doesn't. So the rats become addicted to pressing the lever because you never know whether you're going to get nothing or something good. I was like one of those rats. And <laughs> it was terrible. I'd be out with my kids in the park and I'd be checking my phone to see whether I'd sold any books. Oh, my God, it was horrendous. I, I needed therapy to wean myself off it. You know? <laughs> and <laughs> and I, anyway, I noticed that sales of Catch Your Death were had really taken off. There was like... I'd, I'd hit refresh and there'd been like 10 cells. I'd hit refresh again and there was like 20 cells and then, an, and then another 20. They were coming in really, really fast. And the book started shooting up the charts. And by the end of that day, it got into the top, the top 20 overall. Next, I went into the top 10 and two days later, it got to number one. Fantastic. And then Killing Cupid followed it up to number two. So for a month, we were number one and two on Amazon Dakota UK. We were the first... Um, completely unknown self-published authors to do that in the UK. In the UK. Um, and we just had this kind of whirlwind of a month where we had agents ringing us. Our agents sent the books out to, to everybody. Within like two weeks, we had a, well, we had a six-figure deal with HarperCollins for four books. And... Um, and we were on TV, we were on breakfast TV, we were in all the newspapers. It was just, it was completely mad. Very, very exciting after, I mean, it was, it, by that point, it was 15 years of, of trying. And then and it became an overnight success. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional as well, actually, because I, I, I put so much effort into it, over, not just over the years, but over in the two months or the three months that led up to this, this mm. sudden burst of sales. And... Yeah, I mean, it kind of, it did feel a bit like a vindication, I suppose, Absolutely. a combination of all this effort and yeah, and I thought at that point, well, it's going to be easy from now on. We're gonna we've made it. <laughs> Do you want me to carry on with what next? Or? <laughs> I would love to hear what happened next. Okay. So, um, so Harper Collins then took over the books, um, republished them in early two thousand and twelve. And they were in the shop. So that was exciting as well. So beginning of 2012, Catch Your Death came out in paperback. And it was it was great to be able to walk into a bookshop and see see it on the shelves in Smith's. And I mean, actually, for years I dreamt of walking into Wardstones or somewhere and seeing my book on a table. Actually, the first time I ever saw my book was in Asda in Croydon. <laughs> it was the lit with my kids with me, like going, oh, I'm bored. Come on, let's go. <laughs> It was the least least glamorous literary experience ever. Chucking a copy of my own book into my trolley and wheeling it to the wheeling it to the checkout, and um, and the books didn't the books just didn't sell. It didn't sell anywhere near as well as we or HarperCollins had hoped. The second one, Killing Cupid, came out in August. It was a terrible time as well for it to come out because the Olymp the London Olympics was on. Mm. It was the height of Fifty Shades and erotica mania. So, like every single book in the shops was was erotica. Uh, it was it, we were there was a heat wave and everybody was on holiday. It was just a terrible. Uh, it was the, apparently it was the worst sales week of the year for books that came out, and it just kind of sunk without trace. 
And then by the time the third one came out in January 2013, the publishers had completely given up on us. Um, I mean, they told us it wasn't going to be in any shops. And that the fourth one, which we hadn't even finished at that point, that meant that one wouldn't be in any shops either because the retailers wouldn't take it. So these third and fourth books came out and they were, nobody even noticed. (laughs) It was was terrible. And, and, and because I'd given, after we got the book deal, I, I gave up my job and mm-hmm. took that gamble that I thought I was going to be able to become a, a full-time writer. Now, when I say I got a six-figure deal, it was the lowest possible six figures you can get, divided between two people. Uh-huh. When you, um, and that, that doesn't last you for very long, yeah. nearly 40% tax on it as well. Um, anyway... I'd completely run out of money. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was maxed out on my credit card, my overdraft, everything. My my wife was was expecting our third child. I was to, I was basically back to doing full time freelance work and just writing in my spare time in the evenings. And I mean, I was literally having sleepless nights, worrying about what I was going to do because because um, I'd moved out of London as well, and there aren't any. I was working in in um, in publishing, and there aren't any of those kind of jobs around here. So I I was completely stuck. I just didn't know what to do. Mm. So I had this book called The Magpies, which I had um, written years before, uh-huh. and I mean I'd written loads, but this was my favourite, and it's the nearest one to getting published. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna self publish this book, and maybe I'll make a little bit of money out of it, and and it'll, and that it'll will help, help. yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. So I, um, again, it needed rewriting and editing and updating. So I went through a couple of months of doing that. Again, I got my sister-in-law to do a cover for me. And I figured out if I could sell 20,000 copies at like £1.99 or something, I thought I'd price it low then that would sort of pay my tax bill and I wouldn't go to prison. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's how, that's how kind of desperate I was feeling at this point. Um, I was going to ask you how you got the guts to self-publish, and now I know. Yeah, well, it was... It was <laughs> Financial desperation. It was, uh, yeah, it Gosh. was... So, but I thought, well, I, I've done it before. I've had, I had success doing it before, so I wasn't starting completely from ground zero. I had... A, sm- a very small but very um, lively Facebook page of, of fans or people who'd read the, the books with Louise. So I launched the Magpies in very early April 2013. Launched it on the fa- did a Facebook party. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I mean, there was only a few hundred people on that page, so it's only small. And but enough of them went out and bought it on day one to kind of send it up into the top. Uh-huh. Two or three hundred on Amazon, so sold like a hundred odd copies on the first day, which wasn't bad. No. But then it started to drop, and I remember like two weeks after I published it, it had been kind of sinking down the charts, and I thought this isn't this isn't going to work. It's just not. It's it's the gamble hasn't paid off. What am I going to do? So I was sitting there. It was Good Friday, um, two thousand, and I was working doing my freelance job, and I was. And I started checking checking my first figures on KDP, and it was and it was like deja vu from two years before with Catch Your Death. I saw that 
quite a lot of sales to come in, hit refresh, another 10, another 20, another 30. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening again. And the magpies just shot up the charts that day into the top, into the top 30. And it just kept selling and selling. It went into the top 10. It got stuck at number two for about a month. It was still selling thousands of copies every day because, I mean, sales volumes by 2013 were much bigger than they were in 2011. And then it got to number one. And, I mean, it sold like, it's now sold 400,000 copies, which is pretty phenomenal. It's huge, uh uh-huh. Especially compared to my initial aim of of 20,000. And so what happened then was that Amazon Publishing and Thomas and Mercer were setting up in the UK. Um, they'd already been going in America for a few years. Um, and I was one of the first two authors that they, they signed in the UK. And I thought, well, because I'd, I'd rather be with a publisher than do self-publishing. And I thought, it's Amazon, they're going to try and they're going to make because I'd done really well in the UK, but I'd hardly sold any in America. And I thought it would be really good at helping me sell in America. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I haven't looked back since then. It's been, it has been fantastic. The last three years, I've released three more books on my own. Um, one of them, Follow Your Home, got into the top three in America and then sold nearly as many as the Magpies now. Brilliant. I've had four number ones now in the UK. And I'm back to working full-time as a writer, supporting my family doing it. And yeah, it's, it's just been, a, it's been um, to use a cliche, a bit of a roller coaster. But, um, I've done, and I've done everything. I've done, I've done self-publishing, proper traditional publishing, and Amazon publishing, mm. and so agent-assisted publishing. So that's how we did the Magpies. Uh-huh. That was the White Glove program, is that right? That was, uh, yeah. That was White Glove, yes. So I've kind of, and I've been lucky in a way, so I've always been the first person or one of the first people <laughs> to do everything uh-huh. apart from the traditional publishing thing. But we were the first of the self-published authors who got picked up by a traditional publisher. And so there's been some, there's been some lucky timing in there. Because there's some advantages to being first, aren't there? But then it can yeah. also be a bit nerve-wracking. Yeah, I, I imagine even more nerve wracking because yeah. I was going to ask you about the obviously with hindsight self publishing very very good idea, mm. um, but I wondered if you'd if you had felt nervous about doing it. And I know that you said in a Guardian interview a couple of years ago that indie authors were less well respected than those published um, by a, a traditional means. And I wondered how you felt about that now, or do you feel that's changed? I don't think that readers really care readers don't care who you're published by especially with ebooks i don't think they even notice who a book's published by whether it's self-published whether it's published by penguin or or amazon or whoever Mm. yeah that's only a rare a rare type of person notices the publisher's logo on the spine of the books that they buy absolutely i agree (laughs) it's even less so with with ebooks Um, however, within the within the media and the industry, in terms of getting reviews, being invited to talk at festivals, just kind of being nominated for awards, all those kind of things, uh-huh. I think you're far far less likely 
if you're self-published or with or with a digital publisher like I am now for those things to happen than if you're with a one of the big five or even a kind of even a, like an indie like Faber and Faber or or somebody. So yeah, I, I think that like I said, as far as readers are concerned, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Nobody writes review you, when you read reviews on Amazon. Nobody kind of says, "Oh, this is good for a, for a self published book." Or very rarely they'll say that. But there is there is still some divide, I think, between the indie world and the the traditional world. And what about you going forward? How do you do? You think that you will continue to be hybrid or? Well, I'm not a hybrid now. I'm I'm only published by Amazon. Uh-huh. I haven't got anything. I've got one self-published short story still out there, uh-huh. but I haven't self-published anything for three years now. I like being with with a publisher. I am very happy with Amazon publishing, and mm. um, although I think the freedom of self-publishing is great being able to kind of change your price and change your book description and do all of those things yourself. Um, I do actually prefer the kind of the, the editorial input you get from a publisher. And, uh-huh. and um, it's, it's, I think it's, I know you can hire your own editors, but I just like being part of that team and having somebody behind me or, or somebody working with me. So, so, yeah, I mean, I would go back to self-publishing if it all went wrong. <laughs> And and I would wouldn't change anything that I've that I've done. I don't think even the thing, even the HarperCollins thing, I probably wouldn't change that because I, I think everything that's happened has kind of led to where, where uh-huh. I am. So absolutely. Well, I meant to say after you'd um, kindly shared the story of your journey to publication that it's just so inspiring because it is about tenacity and publishing is so so tough and i hope that people listening will take comfort um even though i don't i don't wish a 10 years of difficulty upon you but <laughs> but <laughs> i um, i love the the way that you you did keep at it and you tried different things and you kept writing and you wrote with somebody else and you kept coming back to it and of course now wonderfully it's come it's all come so good for you which is fantastic um i feel a little bit silly my next question is supposed to be have you always wanted to be a writer and i'm going to take a punt and say you quite like writing yes yes <laughs> well when i was 15 or 16 i figured out that my dreams of being a pop star probably weren't going to happen <laughs> due to my musical inability <laughs> so um i yeah, since then I've always wanted to be a writer and I started when I was, I think I was 22, maybe 23. Mm. I, drew, I kind of had always dreamt of being like Stephen King or somebody. I, I wanted to write horror at first, but then I found myself gravitating towards crime and thrillers. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's just, it is something I've always wanted to do. I mean, there was that few years when I kind of gave up, but I was still reading a lot and I still had it at the back of my mind that it was something that I would go back to at some point. Mm-hmm. I think that being a writer is so hard. The process of writing itself and all the stuff that goes around it, that you have to have it in you. You have to have that drive. Otherwise, why else would you do it? You'd have to be crazy. There are so many more rewarding and easier things that you could do. If you want, if you, you you've got to have that Mm. that innate the voices in your head that make you do it Uh otherwise there's no there's no point 
people, people say to me, oh, I've often thought about writing a book and have you got any advice? And I say, well, just if you want to be a writer, you're just going to do it. You'll just sit down and you'll do it. You'll be compelled. Mm-hmm. And there's no other advice that I can give, well, without getting into technical advice, uh-huh. <laughs> other than just get started, just do it. And if you're a writer, you won't keep going. And if you are a writer, you will. Well, to get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty, since uh, a lot of listeners are authors, um, you have written an enviable number of novels, and I'm always trying to increase my own productivity. So I just wondered if you could talk me through a sort of typical writing day or your writing process and whether you keep business hours, write every day, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I do now. I never used to. Until three years ago, I was writing in spare, snatched moments. I used to commute and I would write on the train on the way to work and on the train on the way home from work. And I would do that very strictly. But now I'm lucky that I can work full time. So I, um, I pretty much work nine to five because I've got a young family and I'm always really busy at weekends. I don't really work at weekends. Mm -hmm. The only time that I'll work late into the night is if, my deadline is on Monday and it's Friday and I still haven't finished my book (laughs) or I've got an edit or I'm I'm editing. What usually happens when I get work back from my editor is I'll have a very short turnaround time and then I will kind of work around the clock um, to get it done. But when I'm I'm kind of just sitting doing the first draft or the pre-editing, getting it to my editor stage, I work, um, well, it's supposed to be nine to five. It's more like nine to three or three thirty. Uh-huh. I usually run out of energy by then. Um, do you aim for a particular word count a day or do you track your yeah, progress? Yeah, I try to write 2000 words a day. I use Scrivener. So I, um, track my word count. Um, so I've set it so I have a target of 2,000 words every day and then I'll set my manuscript target which is usually 100,000 words and yeah I, I do I do keep an eye on my word count uh-huh. I have found though that you can end up going in the wrong direction if you slavishly try to follow your word count because there have been points where I've joined in with sprints and things said like right I'm going to try and do as many words as I can in an hour and then I almost always have to delete it either sends me in the wrong direction or I end up deleting it I have to have within that nine to five there's a lot of times where it looks like I'm not working because I'm thinking Mm -hmm. and that's so important to have the time for thinking and although most of it does happen when I'm driving around or in the shower or at the gym or washing up or whatever I'm doing or lying in bed at night. I don't, I don't think you can rush yourself. You have to have time to reflect and let the story kind of settle in your head and let your subconscious do its work. So, uh-huh. Do you think that's particularly the case? Because uh, you were saying to me before we hit record that, like me, you don't outline extensively. You tend to um, make it make up as you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I've tried to outline... And I find it very hard to do it. The, the only bits I really outline are, because I write thrillers, there's always a, there's always a, a, a villain or a bad guy and they need to have a backstory and they need to have a motivation. Uh-huh. 
And you can you kind of need to know what that is before you start or, or kind of very near the beginning of the book anyway. Mm. Otherwise, you can just end up going in completely the wrong direction. So I usually sit down and kind of and create my, my villain and, and work out why they're doing it and what their story is. But then as far as the plot's concerned, I don't, I don't plot it out. I don't use any kind of act structure. I see people talking about oh, act one, um, part two, and, and this is where there should be this in, inciting incident, all this kind of stuff. And I don't, I don't do any of that. Somehow, from I read so much that the the template is is there in my head, in my soul, and I'm and I'm writing to that without being aware of it and breaking it down into into that kind of rigid. Mm-hmm. I, I am I I just I think I'm too impatient to sit down and do that, and also most of the ideas and the character creation only really happens when I'm sitting there writing. And then, the, and then, so I do that, and then the problems that come from that, I work out when I'm kind of wandering around doing other things. Uh-huh. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And do you ever suffer from um, creative block? Or I'd like to delve into struggles with writing, if that's okay. Um, you were saying there that if if you have a problem, that you'll maybe you'll think about it when you're walking around or driving and so on. But are there yeah. ever ever times? that you're really, truly stuck or that you um, can't quite get to the page to do the work, you procrastinate? Yeah. Do you have any issues I, with any of that? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. It's actually, for, you'd think it would get easier with experience, but it actually gets harder. Oh, no. Um, I know. <laughs> well, for me, anyway, I find each book harder to write than the previous one. And I think that's because I'm, I, I'm always trying to make each book better than the last and I'm, mm more ambitious and the the part that I that I find the hardest is to do with the well with with psychological thrillers you always have to have a twist or you usually have to have a twist and I try to have one and uh, if you can have a double twist that's even better and um the the whole thing of trying to mis misdirect readers and, and come up with a twist and and work out how everything interconnects. Mm. And that's where I will almost be literally rolling on the floor, writhing in agony, <laughs> trying to work out how to do this. So with my new book, um, which is called The Devil's Work, which is out in September, um, it's a story of a woman who goes to work in an office and all this weird stuff starts happening in the office. And then you've also got her backstory of when she was at university and and... So stuff that happened to her at university starts to connect with things that are happening now. But I'm trying to kind of hint at this, but also mislead the reader into thinking that somebody else is behind everything. Mm. And so it was trying to, I got myself really tied up in these, in these, with these horrible knots and tangles with the, with the plot. And I was about 50 or 60% in and it just wasn't working. I couldn't figure out how to do it and where it's going. My, my wife, who um, works at home as well, I'd be constantly going up to her and going, I need to talk through this with you. Just, just, just listen. And I would like be rambling on about the plot and she'd just be sitting there kind of looking bemused. 
And then usually at the end of it, I go, oh, I've got it, I've got it, without that happening in a word. And then I go, storm back to my computer and write a bit more. And then I come up against another problem. And it got to the point where I had to deliver it to my editor in October last year. And I'd written like the full first draft. And I knew it wasn't right, but I just had to get something to him. It just it wasn't, it wasn't working. And it... And so he started reading it and kind of coming back with lots of very negative, quite a negative response. And so I said to him, look, just, just stop reading it. I'm going to, I need to have another go at it. And somehow kind of the, the collaborative process there of my editor kind of coming back with his initial responses, uh-huh. being able to talk it over with him and, so, and my publisher as well, at Amazon, I suddenly thought, what? The, the, the problem was that there was a character in there who was creating all of the problems. And if I took this character out, then suddenly everything started to fall into place. But I had to rewrite 60,000 words in a month. So I basically had to scrap almost the entire second half of the novel and write it again in a month. <laughs> and so, sorry, this is an overcomplicated response to your question. <laughs> Not at all. But, but um, I find it deeply reassuring and worrying because you're much yeah. further, you're much far more experienced than I am, and I kind of hope that I wouldn't have to do this sort of thing when I'd written as many books as you have. But, but it and is I, reassuring. Somebody <laughs> said to me, "It's like a sculptor with a piece of clay, and that find that you've got to find the story within ah. this piece of clay." And that's that's the way that I work. Is I start with this this big kind of slab. And I'm chipping away at it, trying to find a story in there somewhere. Mm. And sometimes you're, and you'll find yourself kind of doing it all wrong and, and just having to start again. And, and some books, it takes a long time to find what the story is and how to make it work. Uh-huh. Whereas with other books, like Because She Loves Me, which I wrote almost straight through in four months, hardly needed any editing. Mm just come out and they're easy that book I had the title and the plot within a day in my head and I just sat down and wrote it and it was an absolute doddle and every book since then I think well why can't every book be like that (laughs) that's so important to note though isn't it that they are your process or your experience can vary from book to book and that's normal um and that sometimes struggling with a story doesn't mean that it's not meant to be written it's just yeah, it's like I you think, say, it's going to be one of those ones that needs a lot of um, yeah, a lot and I more think, work. I think often the ones that need more work are, are better. I mean, Follow Your Home as well, that was a real struggle because the plot in that is so complex and all the interweaving uh-huh. stories and things that are going on and there's a, there's a twist on the last page and I had to kind of make that realistic as well. And often what I'll do is I'll get 80%, 90% of the way through the book and then I'll think of oh, that would make a great twist. And that requires going back and rewriting uh-huh. loads of, of the previous stuff. But um, And um, apart from verbalising it, uh, walking away, talking through the problems at your partner, <laughs> um, do, do you have any other strategies for dealing uh, with creative block or problems with procrastination or any um, books or resources that you found helpful or just any other tips that you'd like to pass yeah, on? I don't, I don't really read. I have tried to read other books about writing and, uh-huh. and I just, I get like a, 
a chapter in and I just want to go away and start doing it rather than reading about it. I find it, I'm, I'm the kind of person who can't read an instruction manual. I just want to go off and try and do it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't have any any um, tips of, of books that I've read, apart from on writing my Stephen King, which is the one that everybody should mm. read. I'm sure most people have read it, but that I found that very useful. Always worth saying. It's so great. <laughs> Yeah, especially the first half for me, the, the, the kind of the story of how he became a writer and uh-huh. that moment when he got his, his offer from his, when he sold his paper. For Carrie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah he I went love out, it. He went to the, the shop to try and buy his wife a present and he got something ridiculous, like, like a hairdryer or something. I can't remember what it was. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's, read that because it will inspire you. It inspired me to keep going and because I wanted that moment that he had. And um, yeah, I, what I sometimes do is I'll, I, I'll take a, I'll take a notepad. I always go to Ryman's or, or somewhere and buy a, a fresh notepad and new pens whenever I start a book. It's like a superstition. Even though I'll only, only feel a tiny part of the notepad, it has to be a new one for each book. And I remember with Follow Your Home, I went and sat in a graveyard <laughs> with my notepad and, and different coloured pens. And I sat there for hours just trying to work out this story. It was mainly the backstory of what you couldn't see in the novel, but what was going on behind the scenes. And I kind of, I guess the spine of the story. And I wrote, I couldn't, I never come up with a solution sitting there staring at my computer. I think that if you, if you get stuck, don't just sit there and stare at your computer, go off, do something else or go and get a notepad or something. And, and try and work it out that way. Don't just sit there giving yourself eye strain, staring, staring at um, words on a page. Uh-huh. And don't go off and like look on Facebook and Twitter and things as well, because that doesn't help. You've got to get away from the computer. But for me anyway, that's... that's no, I think that's great advice. And uh, do you use anything to switch off the internet when you're writing or do you... No, I should. <laughs> Uh, this this thing called freedom. I just think mm. when it must be so easy to switch it back on again, what's the point? <laughs> I use stay focused. That's pretty good. You can um, set a certain amount of time that you're allowed on certain sites. So I've got a 10 minute allocation for Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, my Amazon book pages. <laughs> yeah. So that I know that I will just have quick checks probably because I'm obsessed but I know that I can't get sucked into a time sink because it will just switch it off. Yeah, and what the other thing is that because the internet's so great for doing research, so I'll go off to research something uh-huh. to look up, I don't know, it might just be the meaning of a word or something. And a half an hour later, I find that that's led me down some ridiculous path where I've ended up back on Facebook again. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, social media is, a, is great, but it can be, it's a, it's a killer for, for productivity. It is. I mean, sometimes taking your laptop to a cafe or something and not connecting to the Wi-Fi can just be the answer. Or going somewhere where you can't get Wi-Fi. I'm much more productive on trains and things than I am when I'm sitting at home. Because uh-huh. Virgin Trains, the internet is so unreliable. <laughs> you might as well not be connected to the internet. So... Um, uh, but but the distract distractions of people ringing you and emailing you or just wandering into the room and and talking to you and people think when you're a writer it's not a real job so they'll 
they'll ring you up for a chat kind of and you're like well you wouldn't do this to me if I was in an office <laughs> um so um yeah you've got to kind of guard your time as mm. much as you can and and um for not just other people well mainly not other people it's mainly yourself try and make good use of your time it's so so important Mm, that's very true. And I'm aware that we're going to run out of time, but I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about worries and self-doubt. Sorry. Mm. Um, but uh, I really, really enjoyed Follow You Home. Um, but I was also thinking that your stories contain some pretty dark stuff. Um, and I wondered if you ever had any issues with self censorship or I wondered if you ever were writing and had that sort of oh no I can't write that do you know what will people think or or, or do you well do you no I only with <laughs> you don't care <laughs> but no I kind of I kind of do but not with not with the darker stuff uh-huh. there's there's a there's a section in follow you home um where a young woman is basically being held prisoner which I did find it hard to write because mm-hmm. it made me feel quite it did make me feel very dark and quite disturbed writing it, but I didn't think I can't, I can't write this or I was worried about what people can think of it. There's, there's, um, I worry more about the sex, the sex <laughs> scenes and what people are going to think about those. I've actually found myself writing less and less as I've gone on. Um, and I know that my mum and my, my wife's grandmother and, and my mother-in-law, they read all my books and um, you kind of, I suppose there is part of you it's when you're writing a scene that's thinking, oh my God, what, what's my mum going to think about this? <laughs> but she's very, she's very proud of me. I don't, I don't really, I don't really hold back. In fact, if I find my inner censor screaming at me, that I often think, well, that means it's probably a good, a powerful scene, a strong scene, and that you should keep it in. I think that there is there, there are scenes. So here's a tip. I think for a book to be really successful, you've got to have some scenes in there that are a bit out there that people will remember, uh-huh. and they might seem completely bonkers. There's a scene in the Magpies where a load of spiders invade somebody's flat, <laughs> and, and it's 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 kind of a crazy scene in a way. It's all to do with the, the character's perception because she's an arachnophobe and she's terrified of even the tiniest spider. Um, that's the one scene that people always mention to me. Um, there's a scene in Because She Loves Me where two people have sex in a, in a freezing cold pond in a park. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote that scene and thought, oh, I can't, this is, this is just ridiculous. I can't, I can't, um, well, not ridiculous, but this is, this is so kind of, I could see people being critical of it. But again, it's one of the scenes that people uh-huh. mention. Um, I think that it's like the, what's that book, Lace, the goldfish. People always remember the goldfish scene in, in Lace. Or, or they remember, um, oh, I can't think of any other examples, but if you think about the most popular books, the ones that really take off, they've got that. They've got something about them, whether it's one, one or two, like really, really memorable scenes uh-huh. that the writers had to be quite brave to put in there. Maestro, a recent big bestseller, is full of scenes like that, where people read them and, and they might be quite, they might be critical of them. Mm. They, they divide opinion. Books, to me, books have to really divide opinion. So if I think I'm writing something that some people are going to hate <laughs> or that they're going to be offended by, 
or that um, I, I, I think it's probably a good idea to keep it in. Do you know, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I love that way of looking at it. But I haven't I haven't ever thought of it that way. But I completely agree with you. Um, and I guess, it's, again, it's like any art that you want to have yeah. a reaction, don't you? you? You want to create a reaction. Yeah, there's nothing as if you if you're if you're not there's nothing worse than being bland and safe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I I try to take risks in all of my books, whether that's through the material being quite strong. As long as you're not as long as you're not writing gratuitous violence mm-hmm. violence against women in particular, I think some people do that, and it's just it's just kind of horrible. But if you if you feel like it's there. It's there for a reason that you're kind of that there's there's some that you're trying to say something that isn't just gratuitous. Uh-huh. Then um, then it, it works. Um, so yeah, so I'd say to people take risks because most most bestsellers are risky books, whether it's the Da Vinci Code or Fifty Shades of Grey. Or, um, or the magpies. <laughs> yeah, the magpies. Yeah, I mean that, that's. Uh-huh. A, yeah, there is something about that book that people. I I kind of read. I'm very critical of that book when I read it back. Mm. Now. Oh, that could have been much better written, or that I could have done that better. But there's something about it in its kind of rawness, in its naivety, because I I was a much more raw writer back when I wrote that than I am now. There's something about it that... Well, it obviously connected with people, didn't it? That's Yeah. 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 Fantastic. And um, just to finish up, what are you working on at the moment or what's next for you? What what should listeners be looking out for next? Okay, well, The Devil's Work is out in September. Uh Uh-huh. Is that with Thomas and Mercer? That's with Thomas and Mercer, and that is my colleagues from hell novel. I've done Neighbours from Hell, Girls from Hell, <laughs> Holiday from Hell, and now that's The Office from Hell, or Colleagues from Hell one. Um, <laughs> that's, another, that's another tip. If you can describe your book in three words, uh-huh. then, then that makes your life a lot easier. What I'm working on at the moment can't be described in three words. It's a serial killer novel, mm-hmm. and I can describe it in a sentence, but if I do, it gives away the twist. <laughs> So I need to think of a new way of describing it. But it's a, it's about a serial killer who is roaming rural Shropshire, which is close to where I live. It's half psychological thriller and half police procedural. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of bringing together the two types of books that I've written before. Um, and it's actually going quite well, touch wood. I am literally touching wood as I say that. Um, so that won't be out till next summer, 2017. But yeah, I'm actually enjoying writing this one. And I haven't yet had to roll on the floor in agony and bang my head against the wall. I'm happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just to finish up, where can listeners find out more about you and your books? Okay, well, I've got a website, which is um, markedwardsauthor.com. You can download a free um, collection of short stories on there. I'm on Facebook. I share a page with Louise Voss. So if you search for Louise Voss and Mark Edwards, um, you'll find us. And I'm on Twitter, Mr. Edwards. Mr. Edwards, people think, but it's actually Mark Richard Edwards. 
So, yeah, those are all the places you can find me. That's brilliant. I shall put all the links in the show notes, but um, thank you so much for your time. It's lovely to speak to you, and I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag WorriedWriter. See you next time.